Last January 1st, we began our year-long reading of the Gospel according to John. It has been 11 months, and there's always wise guys like Vandy who remind us that we've been reading John for a whole year. But I told you to go fast, didn't I? Didn't I say that? Since then, every sermon has come from that fourth gospel. 21 chapters, 4,146 verses. Today we come to the end of the gospel. Many of you have read through the gospel for yourselves. Some have done it again and again. Some of you contributed to our daily devotional based on the Gospel of John, writing your reflections for others to read and to enrich their own faith. And some of you have read those devotionals every day on the blog, uh, or perhaps most days, and you have found them to help your faith and help you to get a better picture of Jesus Christ and the things that John was writing about. Some of you have attended the John Breakout Sunday School classes to go deeper into John. There will be one more breakout class. It will be on January 6th. I'm going to teach that class. I hope you'll join me that morning and come. William Barclay said, Many people find themselves closer to God and closer to Jesus Christ in John than in any other book in the world. I hope that in all our attention to John, you have in some way found yourself closer or more aware of Jesus Christ and who he is. But Phil, this is only November 25th. You said a whole year. It's only 11 months, big guy. You're right. This morning, we will have gone through the entire book, but we aren't finished with it yet. And we will continue in John through December, through the final weeks of the year, the seasons of Advent, going into Christmas, by going back to the beginning. And we will just break down and drill deep into the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, which set up the whole book. And we will now read them again in light of what we've learned about Jesus, now having gone through this Gospel. One of the things the reader of John notes is that it is absolutely different from the other three Gospels. John gives us events, he gives us teaching that we don't find in Matthew, Mark, or in Luke. Why did John tell us those events and not what the other three Gospels give us? Why did he pay attention to these particular stories about Jesus? Well, because John had an agenda. Make no mistake about it. He gives us Jesus Christ in the way he wants us to see him, and it is a powerful view. He wants his readers, he wants his listeners to understand certain compelling things about who Christ was and what he did. The gospel according to John is not about religion per se. It's not about churches per se. It's not about us per se. The gospel of John, according to John, is about God showing himself through Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And so John gives us Jesus' life, Jesus' actions, his words in a particular way. He doesn't do it as an academic exercise. He doesn't do it just for information. He wants whoever reads about Jesus to 
come to believe that he is the Son of God and that by believing to have life in his name. John is saying, I want you to believe. And this person is so full of life. He is so full of grace that I give him to you in this way. Now, if someone asks, well, how does the story of Jesus end? The answer is not his rising from the dead. John's gospel does not end with the resurrection of Christ. It continues with three appearances of the risen Lord. But ultimately... It ends with a one-on-one conversation between Jesus and the disciple Simon Peter. Because Jesus and Simon Peter have unfinished business. They've just finished breakfast. And they've had their breakfast because Peter went fishing with several other disciples, caught nothing all night, heard a man on the shore tell them to cast their nets onto the other side of the boat where there's a good catch of fish. Indeed, they do it, and they haul in a huge catch. The man turned out to be Jesus, who had a fire prepared with bread on the shore, told them to bring some of the fish they caught, and he made them all breakfast. Jesus can even cook. Well, the catching of fish and the breakfast are only a lure. They're only bait for this conversation for Jesus to finish some business between he and Peter. Now you'll remember when Jesus was on trial before the high priest, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. Jesus now asks the disciple Peter three times if Peter loves him to match those three times that Peter denied Christ. They're sitting around a charcoal fire Now, the last time we saw a charcoal fire in John's gospel was when Peter was standing outside while Jesus was being tried inside and Peter was warming himself by the fire, denying that he knew the man who was being tried inside, a trial that led to his death, the death of Jesus. There's an ominous connection here. Now remember Peter's words to Jesus before his arrest. Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. I've got your back. Don't worry about it. I will never fail you. But what did he do? He ran. He denied him. Major failure. It's been at least a week now, at least a week, maybe longer since Jesus' resurrection and perhaps um, several days beyond that. And Jesus has been with Simon Peter before this, but he doesn't pursue this unfinished business until now. The first time when Jesus finds Peter in that upper room when he first appears to the disciples. He doesn't immediately go to Peter and say, I'm looking for you. Come over here for a minute. I got business with you. You know what you did to me. He doesn't do that. Jesus has waited in his perfect timing. Perhaps Jesus now knows Peter's now ready. Perhaps Peter is now more humble, less full of himself, Not the braggart we read about in all the other Gospels who claimed that he would stand by Jesus even though all the other disciples are going to fail you. (laughs) Isn't it great to be better than others? Well, Peter fell hard. And maybe Jesus knows Peter isn't nearly as self-confident now. Too much self-confidence has a way of making us 
less available to how Jesus might speak to us or the word or the work that he has for us. Well, now the breakfast is over and Jesus asked Simon Peter a question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Anyone here know what it meant when your mother called you by your full name? Well, I don't know if it means the same thing, but all three times Jesus calls Peter by his full and formal name, Simon, son of John. It seems to be a call to attention. And three times Jesus asks Simon if he loves him. The first time he asks if he loves him more than these. Well, what are the these? Are they the fish and the nets and the boats and that life that Peter had known before as a fisherman? And would Peter now leave these things, be willing to leave these things in order to fulfill a call Christ now has for him? Or did Jesus mean, does Peter love him more than these other disciples? What is deeply clear is Jesus wants to know about Peter's love for him. The Lord wants to know and confirm where Peter's heart is. He doesn't want to know how much he likes him. He doesn't want to know if he respects him. He doesn't want to know if he admires him. Simon, do you love me? Isn't that the question to all of us? Do you love Jesus? Where is your heart in relationship to Jesus Christ? Because that's all God and us really need to settle because if we love Jesus, everything else will fall into place. All the other things, goodness and kindness and humility and patience and gentleness and hope, loyalty, forgiveness, perseverance, trust, how we relate to others, they're all found in love for God and Christ. Do you love me? That is the question of ultimate allegiance and worship for our lives because whoever or whatever we love will get our attention, our energy, and our devotion. And Peter replies, not just with yes, but notice he says, yes, you know that I love you. You know everything, Lord. Why do you even have to ask? You heard what Adam said said to Eve when Eve asked him, do you love me, Adam? And he said, who else? <laughs> I, I just had that on the side. I just threw. Uh, <laughs> Peter affirms his love for Jesus. And Jesus gives him a commission, feed my lambs. Jesus asks Simon if he loves him a second time, and Peter answers the same way. And this time, Jesus calls Peter to take care of my sheep. Jesus does it a third time. Peter, this time hurt that Jesus would keep asking him, says, you know I love you. And then he gives Peter the charge, feed my sheep. Now, there are three things that I would point out in Jesus' words to Peter. Number one, the first is in that term, feed or take care and tend. Because Jesus wants care and nurture for his sheep. This is what shepherds do, and this is what Jesus is calling Peter to. 
He tells him to feed and care for the lambs. Peter isn't to necessarily win all people to Christ. He isn't necessarily to go and change the world. Jesus wants his flock cared for and nourished. The second thing found in Jesus' words is in the word, my. You see, these sheep and these lambs belong to Jesus. Jesus is the great. He is the good shepherd. They belong to him, and he's not giving them away. The sheep are his possession and his much-loved and treasured possession. He's just asking someone else to care for them. And the third thing is in the terms sheep and lambs. Now, don't make too much of the difference between those two terms. But do pay attention that Jesus doesn't tell Peter to go make sure the organization is running smoothly. He doesn't go and say, you know, work for justice. He doesn't even say, go and just give your full attention to prayer. No, Jesus charges him with his people, the lambs, the sheep. These other things may be found within the shepherding of the sheep, but the people are to be number one. Jesus is always about people, always placing the people first, the sheep and the lambs. I know as a pastor, I get continually frustrated in the distraction of just many tasks, many responsibilities, and I so often forget the people. I am so weak in this way. But with Jesus, the sheep, the people come first. Now this passage has certainly meant a great deal to pastors in the church over the years, but I think it extends to all who love Jesus and all who consider them Jesus' disciples because he calls us to love him and to nourish his people. We love Jesus best when we are loving those who belong to him. We love Jesus best by nurturing and feeding those who belong to him. We love Jesus best by caring for his people who are around us. And I want to give a special word to those of you who are maybe deacons, maybe you're Stephen minister, maybe you're a Sunday school teacher, a children's church teacher of our children, or you're a youth leader particularly, these people. You care and you nurture the sheep and the lambs. And it is so important. And what you do honors Christ. I hope you hear the call to Peter as including you. Because when you spend time with any of the people you care for, when you listen to them, when you love them, when you prepare lessons for our youngest, or you help those who are in deep need, you are doing exactly what Christ calls us and asks us to do. Let's all feed the sheep and tend the lambs and so love Jesus. Jesus matches Peter three denials with three opportunities for restoration. Peter's not discarded. Peter's given another chance. That's the unfinished business that Jesus has with Peter. At the beginning of John, back in the first chapter, we read this. For the law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we are seeing that grace and truth in this fireside conversation with Peter. Jesus acknowledges the truth of Peter's denial. Jesus acknowledges the truth of Peter's failure. He acknowledges the truth of Peter's guilt. He acknowledges the truth of Peter's need for restoration. But the Lord also gives Peter the grace of his love. 
He gives him the grace of a new start. He gives him the grace of amended relationship. He gives Peter the grace of restoration. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd. He is all the things the good shepherd is supposed to be. He comes not to destroy people and relationships, but to give life. Just as the good shepherd knows the sheep, so Jesus knows Peter. He knows what he's done. He knows what he's really like, and he knows his heart. And Jesus loses nothing, loses nothing that has been given to him. Nothing can snatch his sheep out of his hand. Jesus does not lose his sheep. Boy, no one blew it more than Peter. I mean, to not stand by the Lord, to say you're ashamed of him and ashamed to know him, to refuse to speak up for him, that does not look good on our record. Yet Jesus puts Peter in the place to become the main leader of his churches. Peter will become a spokesperson. He'll become the main pastor called by Jesus to that task. I like how Dale Bruner puts it. Jesus entrusts exactly such very human people with his mission, people just like Peter, namely problematic human beings, errant, sin-marred, but sincerely repentant human beings who confess their sins and want to be real Christians. Jesus takes people who qualify exactly as much as Peter does, people who have failed, sometimes quite awfully, for his mission to the world of other sinful, errant, needy, and lost human beings. We don't have to be perfect to be a minister for Jesus and be used by him. The church is not a society of perfect people. This and any other church is a society of sinners who have been forgiven and who have been restored and are responding to the unpayable debt of love given by Jesus Christ to us. I'm a pastor, but I'm a sinner. I have failed and I still stumble and I live poorly. There are parts of me that still need to be changed. I am still under construction and I'm deeply aware of my sinfulness. But I will say this. I am also deeply aware of my forgiveness because of Christ's love, grace, and mercy. Now, I'm in a point in my life where I am not shocked by my sin. I try to keep it minimal, but I'm not shocked. But neither am I shocked by the generous mercy of our Savior. I'm not. I do not doubt that whenever I come to him in repentance, he will restore me. Jesus has brought Peter to this shore, to this charcoal fire, to this conversation because there was unfinished business. Jesus doesn't look the other way. He doesn't assume things will just kind of work themselves out. Jesus pursues restoration. I don't know if Peter would have ever brought up his past failure and his denial of Christ. But Jesus initiates the issue of Peter's failure. But he does it not by putting him down, not by chastising him. Jesus restores Peter by refocusing his love. Simon, where's your love? Do you love me? Does Jesus have unfinished business with you? Do you have unfinished business with the Lord? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ allows us to leave nothing unfinished with God. 
Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. But you don't understand. Some years ago, I did this. Just yesterday, I... Well, several times I have... Well, do you realize that this is what I struggle with? Hey, our sin and the unrefined parts of our lives are not any more a secret to the Lord than was Peter's failure. And I think one of the reasons John includes this conversation between Peter and the Lord in his gospel is so that sinful disciples like us who have so badly wanted to follow but have failed will know that we can be restored to follow Jesus. Finish your business with the Son of God. Settle your forgiveness. Settle your love for him. Let him restore you to himself. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you that you do not let the sins of our lives become the last word. Thank you that you approach us with your grace and love and the desire to refocus our love. So give us the grace to be honest with you and honest with ourselves. Teach us to love you and to love you even more. Amen. Let us stand and sing together.